For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Your cat may be eating sharks, and if you happen to wear makeup, you may be smearing sharks on your face, which isn't good news for sharks, but could be a fun fact to keep in mind if you ever get drug into the Broadway show, Cats. What's a genital cat? A study released from Stony Brook University in New York used multiplex mini barcode PCR protocol to analyze 87 pet foods and 24 different types of cosmetics for traces of shark DNA. That highly technical DNA stuff I just spouted basically says this is a specialized process that allows for tiny bits of beat-up DNA to be extracted from processed stuff like eyeliner and pet food. If you are wondering why would pet foods and cosmetics be lumped into the same study, it's not because feline lovers are makeup heavy. It's because shark liver oil is a common ingredient in some cosmetics. Apparently, a great moisturizer. And the shark meat, not destined for human consumption markets, is sold to some pet food manufacturers. The Stony Brook study was aimed at identifying exactly what sharks made it into pet food and face products. As seafood fraud is something that we have covered on the Week in Review multiple times, it should be no surprise to you that identifying a piece of fish by its label at the market may not be the most accurate. According to doctoral candidate, shark biologist, and lead researcher Diego Cardenosa, that is also the case when it comes to pet foods and cosmetics. All products tested in this study were not labeled as containing elasmobranch-based ingredients. Elasmo branches are cartilaginous fishes like sharks, rays, and skates that have five to seven gill openings on each side. Cardenosa feels that consumers should have the choice between pet foods and cosmetics that do or do not contain shark, especially threatened or endangered ones. 
For instance, the shortfin mako shark has been makoing its way into cat food, perhaps not so incidentally, the shortfin mako also makoed its way onto the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's Vulnerable List in 2019, and just recently, the IUCN updated the shortfin mako status to endangered. Quick fun fact for you, the shortfin mako is the world's fastest shark, capable of 42 miles per hour. It also has one of the largest brain-to-body ratios of all sharks. And just so you know, the world record was caught off of California's Huntington Beach. That shark weighed 1,323 pounds and measured 12.2 feet. Real cool critters. Now, if that information makes your brow a bit shiny as you set down the cat chow, don't reach for the moisturizing foundation just yet. The beauty products tested in this study revealed black tip shark, blue shark, and a critically endangered species, the scalloped hammerhead shark's DNA. Quick side note, I assumed shiny skin was a bad thing, but when I did a quick look into cosmetics, I found that shiny is actually called, quote, glow, and it's a look. Or it was in 2017 at least. So, if this information is starting to make you glow, listen up. One reason shark meat ends up in pet food is the demand for shark fin, as in shark fin soup. The practice of finning, which is literally cutting the fins off of a shark that's been caught and tossing the rest of the shark back in the ocean where it dies, has been identified, not surprisingly, as a major factor in the decimation of what was once the most common hammerhead in the Atlantic Ocean. According to the Smithsonian, an estimated 100 million sharks are killed every year. While the cosmetic and pet food industries are not the primary drivers of the shark fishing industry, it may be best to hold off on anything with shark byproducts until we see these species rebound. Additionally, if you are currently feeding pets or beautifying your body with cosmetics, I'd encourage you to write in and ask your brand or brand of choice to leave out the shark. This week, we've got a hunting tragedy, California salmon, emotional support animals, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. I lent out my steel battery-powered chainsaw to one Mr. Giannis Patelis, who had to have it for some specific ice fishing reason in Minnesota. He actually flew with it, batteries in his carry-on and the chainsaw and checked baggage. Just thought I'd point out yet another benefit to having a handy little no-gas-leaking electric saw. For those of you who may at some point think, I had better fly with a chainsaw. As you know, this podcast is powered by steel power equipment. Why? Because they're great. And speaking of great, Giannis Patelis, myself, and one Mr. Stephen Ranella will once again be traveling the country, joined by a special guest for a very unique to every state and venue live podcast experience. This year, we're doing a little differently. Think Meteor Podcast off the air. An evening you won't see or hear anywhere else. 11 cities, San Francisco, Portland, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Boston, Detroit, Minneapolis, Chicago, D.C., Pittsburgh. Tickets go on sale Friday, January 17th, but are available exclusively to the Meat Eater community beginning Tuesday, January 14th at 10 a.m. by using the promo code MUGS. Zen, hey, you mugs. Exclusive meet and greet signing opportunity available for VIP ticket holders. This year, we're only doing 65 VIP tickets per show. Those are going to go out quick. 
These shows are a ton of fun and a great excuse to come out and rub elbows with us and a bunch of other folks in the out-of-doors community. Be on the lookout at TheMeatEater.com and book your tickets fast. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild access deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. All right. My week started out like this. I hopped on a plane to Sacramento rented a car, headed out to an end-of-the-season pre-Christmas lunch barbecue with a bunch of rice farmers, their buddies, and all the hired hands. Basically, everyone at this operation gets a winter break that starts prior to Christmas and ends a few days post-New Year. This break is the unofficial start of waterfowl hunting for most of the folks working rice in the valley. Like I mentioned in the previous episode... I had gotten the invite from some friends in the Sacramento Valley to come look at their side of the water and salmon issues firsthand. I'll get to what that has to do with ducks in a minute. Water flow from the mountains down the valley through the delta and out to the ocean has been a serious issue in the last 90 years or so. 
pre-settlement and agriculture development of California, the heavy snowpacks would wash off the mountains, down the valley, eventually overflowing the banks of the Sacramento River. This is historically what they would do. This overflow would then push out way across a vast floodplain that was full of marsh grasses and wetlands, and that water would make it very slowly out through the delta and into the ocean. Then, like it says in the best musical ever made, which is, of course, Paint Your Wagon, along came people and gum it up good. People in the Sacramento Delta spent a generation or so creating a series of dikes and levees designed to manipulate the floodwaters to our control, releasing them through a series of weirs into areas that lack human habitation to protect the areas with human habitation. Areas that lack human habitation in the Sacramento Valley appeared pretty slim, by the way. While the manipulation of the floodplain has been great for human habitation, many species have taken a real hit. One of those species is the Chinook salmon. As previously reported, the amount of water that runs down the Sacramento River presently, compared to when salmon numbers were at their peak, is much, much less. The simple solution to get those salmon numbers to rebound has been to allow more water to flow down the Sacramento and less out into farmers' fields. However, increased flow down the Sacramento River has not been met with increased salmon numbers. As per usual, conservation just isn't a convenient business. The state of the salmon is such. This is all taken from the California Department of Fish and Game. Historically, winter-run Chinook salmon spawned in the upper reaches of the Sacramento River tributaries, including the McLeod, the Pitt, Little Sacramento Rivers, Shasta and Keswick Dams now block access to the historic spawning areas. The run, despite having some good years, was classified as endangered under the state California Endangered Species Act in 1989 and as endangered under the Federal Endangered Species Act in 1994. Spring-run Chinook salmon were historically the most abundant race in the Central Valley due to the small number of non-hybridized populations remaining and low population sizes. Central Valley spring-run Chinook salmon were listed as threatened under both state and federal endangered species acts in 1999. Fall-run Chinook salmon are currently the most abundant of the Central Valley races, contributing to large commercial and recreational fisheries in the ocean and popular sport fisheries in the freshwater streams. Fall-run Chinook salmon are raised at five major Central Valley hatcheries, which release more than 32 million smolts each year. Due to concerns over population size and hatchery influence, Central Valley fall and late fall-run Chinook salmon are a species of concern under the Federal Endangered Species Act. Whew! I realize that is a lot of info regarding the state of the California salmon. Suffice it to say, there is plenty of work to be done. One project, named ever so cleverly, Nigiri Project. If uh, you're not a sushi fan, that's fish on rice. And by no coincidence, that is exactly what the Nigiri Project is. Now keep in mind, this is a 20-minute podcast, so this is just, as I understand it, shoot from the hip rundown of this situation. Sure, I'm going to get some stuff wrong, but this is an ongoing deal, so I'm going to stay on top of it because it's a fascinating thing that's happening over there. So what the Nigiri Project is trying to figure out is if the answer to getting more salmon back into the system isn't put more water down the river, maybe it's putting more water through the floodplain. After all, that's where a lot of water was going. 
prior to the elaborate flood mitigation system that is currently in place in the Sacramento Valley. The Sacramento Valley was a vast wetland. Those wetlands have in large part been, in the best case scenario, replaced by crops, worst case concrete, shopping malls, uh, the city of Sacramento, houses. One crop I'm going to talk about, of course, is rice. Remember, we're speaking nigiri. Imitates a wetland as well as a monoculture camp. If you are in this area or have ever been through it, it is an easy connection to make as the amount of waterfowl as in pintails, teal, widgeon, gadwall, canada and speckle-bellied geese, curlew, Ross's geese, storks, herons, and many other species are just staggering. I was down in December, but last year, the National Wildlife Refuge count had hit 198,000 speckled-bellied geese, 360,000 pintail, 340,000 teal, that's counting both greenwing and cinnamon, 180,000 widgeon, and more than 100,000 shovelers, 270,000 snow and Ross's geese were expected by mid-November. This is an all-due-to-rice, of course, the refuge system into which our duck stamp dollars flow, and even the private refuges, the duck clubs, play a huge part as well. I'll just reiterate that the birds use the rice fields heavily, or that's what I saw. Anyway, previously rice straw was burned after harvest. Now, many rice farmers will flood their fields long enough to enjoy incredible waterfowl hunting, but also to help break down the incredibly tough rice straw. Quick fun fact for you, uh, if you've ever been driving down like new road construction where they're cutting into a hillside, those roadside bundles of straw that you see typically in like a green kind of mesh, that is often rice straw placed to mitigate erosion, you know, because again, the rice straw is tough stuff, takes a long time to break down. Well, when the decomposition process begins in the flooded rice straw, an even more incredible abundance of life also begins in the form of invertebrates, algae, and zooplankton, things that coincidentally make great fish food for young salmon. In February of 2012, juvenile salmon were placed into a series of cages. If you could think of like crab pots, that's what would be the best visual here. The cages were placed downstream of a discharge point on the Sacramento River, with control fish in cages upstream of the discharge point. About 5,000 acres of rice stubble was flooded and let sit during the non-growing season for four to six weeks, at which point the fields were drained and the water pumped back into the Sacramento River. The juvenile Chinook at the discharge point, as in, you know, the point where the rice field water was pumped back into the river, grew 500% faster than fish held upstream of the discharge point, our control fish. Fish caged one mile downstream of the discharge point grew 300% faster than the fish upstream of the rice field discharge. Fatter smolt going down the river will have a better chance of survival when they hit the ocean. The point of this particular study was to show that there's a lot of food in the rice fields and the salmon will respond well. 500% faster growth of the discharge. You know, this is a highly contained study, but they got some good results. These juvenile salmon were dubbed, quote, floodplain fatties, which, again, I thought was very clever. And if you're going to smoke a California salmon, you probably want to smoke a fatty. For shizzle. The next step for this project is putting juvenile salmon into flooded rice fields. Again, the rice fields were once the natural floodplain. Now, I still have a lot of questions in regard to this project, as I know the folks involved do as well. The water gets much warmer in the rice fields. Does it get too warm? Are there any threats from residual pesticides in the fields? 
other organizations, like the California Waterfowl Association, even though they sponsor the project, and sponsor is in quotes there. I'm not sure if they're just signed a letter of support or giving them cash or what the story is. Anyway, California Waterfowl Association has their concerns as well, mainly around increased water levels on the floodplain during hunting season. According to CWA, too much water in certain refuges can actually close the refuge down to access until the water subsides. They also have concerns over actual habitat loss due to continued high water in some areas. A Ducks Unlimited study determined that there were 4,000 hunting opportunities in the Yolo Bypass Wildlife Area last December and January, whereas in the 2016 to 2017 season, there were only 2,400 opportunities due to high water. I need to figure out exactly what they mean by an opportunity. Is that an individual day in the field or is that a discharged shell? If anyone has the answer to that, please let me know. In any case, hunting opportunity has the potential to be reduced, which is something a hunter like myself doesn't like to see, but a conservationist like myself knows, again, nothing is simple in conservation. Sometimes you have to take some tough times in the duck blind to get some good times on the river, and vice versa. Right now, there are a ton of birds in the sky, and the Nigiri Project conducted by Cal Trout, which is supported by a whole host of interests from rice farmers to fishermen to U.S. Fish and Wildlife to nonprofits and businesses, seem to be thinking outside the box and trying to find a fix to a complicated issue. A fix that will ideally allow for farming, fishing, and hunting in the Sacramento Valley far into the future. This has been a rough and tumble version of what's going on, but it won't be the last you'll hear of it. It's really neat stuff. I'm definitely going back and checking on this firsthand. Moving on, we're going to visit the uh, Emotional Support Wildlife Desk. Airlines have had all sorts of issues with passengers and their emotional support animals. Even well-trained golden retrievers can have mid-air stomach problems, and even though you know that your emotional support peacock or emotional support squirrel is a polite frequent flyer, the person sitting next to you may not. Those are both real, by the way. An emotional support peacock and an emotional support squirrel have both been denied access prior to boarding. Well, currently, an Iowa man is fighting to maintain custody of his support animal, a coyote. The Iowan fed an abandoned coyote pup that he found on his property this past April. He told his Waterloo, Iowa neighbors that the pup was a German shepherd, which may have led to his being reported to animal control. It happens to be illegal to keep a coyote as a pet in the state of Iowa. So, in order to circumvent the law, a doctor's note was obtained certifying the coyote as an emotional support animal. Now, I'm going to give this fellow the benefit of the doubt. I myself am an animal lover. I am sure there's some sort of a bond between these two, but it does make me wonder if this doctor is up to speed on the abstaining from harm part of the Hippocratic Oath. The coyote is currently in the custody of a wildlife rehabilitation center where they say he is doing well and showing signs of being able to be released. There are far too many good dogs in shelters across this country. I am sure this is the case in Iowa. There is no reason, whether it be for your emotional well-being or not, to habituate and then cage up a wild animal. Drop the lawsuit and make a happy home for a domestic. Moving on to our seldom visited astronomy desk. Every hunter knows our friendly cohort in the sky, Orion. 
the constellation is a highly recognizable pattern of stars that is, in my experience, particularly visible here in the western half of the U.S. and Canada during the fall hunting season. If you, like me, like to check in on this constellation, you may have noticed that the star Betelgeuse has been getting dimmer. Betelgeuse is located on Orion's shoulder and is a variable star, meaning that its brightness does come and go. Interesting fact that Betelgeuse, which apparently got its name from a poor translation of Arabic meaning the hand of Orion, is sadly not pronounced like I am pronouncing it, as you would the movie Betelgeuse. That movie is a fantastic example of the incredibly talented and best Batman ever, Michael Keaton, who I hear is also a hunter. Beetle, uh, uh, Beetle juice? Yes, that's it! Anyway, Betelgeuse can be one of the top 10 brightest stars in our solar system, though not as bright as Rigel. Rigel is also located in the constellation Orion in his left foot. All those fun facts aside, most importantly, Betelgeuse is a ticking time bomb. A time bomb roughly 20 times the size of the sun. That's right, astronomers are predicting a massive supernova explosion. The shock wave will hit Earth in only 600 million years. I, for one, am sad, sincerely, to see Orion change. I've stared up at this constellation many times on many different hunts, honestly because it's so visible, not because I'm great with constellations. One time, I got a little turned around, lost, some would call it, way back in the Littlewood drainage outside of Cary, Idaho, and it seemed like Orion sat right above our frozen little drop camp. I used an intersection of Orion's belt and the creek to guide me home after I had advised strongly against one of my fellow campers uh, discharging his firearm as a location device. The inky black night did not give me a lot of confidence in the direction of the shots. So, pack your bags, go someplace dark, and take a look at Orion and Betelgeuse. Take comfort knowing that all things are fleeting, even the stars. You only have 100,000 years or so to appreciate each other. All right, I'm going to take a rare serious note here before we depart, but this is an important one. The big hunting community of which I am a part suffered a serious tragedy New Year's Day. A father and his nine-year-old daughter were killed in a hunting accident of some sort in South Carolina. Hunting is an incredibly captivating pursuit for all of the obvious reasons. Time outside, nature, camaraderie, and of course food. Another lesser discussed reason for the hunting addiction is the fact that hunting is incredibly complex. What may seem like a simple day in the woods or the marsh is actually a dynamic situation that involves atmospheric conditions, lunar phases, the timing of food sources coming in and out of season. So many variables that much of hunting is chalked up to luck. Luck, because it is so damned hard to keep all these changing conditions straight. Which is why there are constants in the woods or the blind that when hunters follow them, the predictable happens. Which, oddly enough, is nothing. The constants are rules laid out to prospective hunters and reiterated to old hunters constantly. All across the nation. In hunter safety classes and in the field. Always keep your barrel pointed in a safe direction. Treat every firearm as if it is loaded. Know your target and beyond. Notice these rules or commandments, if you like, don't include any outs. No ifs or allowances for changing conditions. These deaths 
are tragic. They're sad and they're avoidable. If we don't learn from them, then their deaths will be all the more tragic. Be safe out there. Teach others to be safe out there. There are no excuses. Thanks for listening. As per usual, if I've gotten something wrong, if you have something interesting you would like to share, write in and let me know at askcal at themeateater.com. That's A-S-K-C-A-L at themeateater.com. And leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand star. If you're loving what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order